I just saw through the different troubles so many youth and kids really struggling and I just felt that football was such a powerful tool. Hi everyone and welcome to What Led You Here, a conversation with global leaders about their journeys and personal take on how to compete in markets that are getting faster, more complex and less predictable every day. I'm Steve Vamos, CEO of Zero, and I'm your host for this podcast. Today, I'm coming to you live from Zerocon London, where we have over 2,000 delegates here with us. You know, I've spent the last 40 years in the technology industry, and I've seen how success or failure of any business is often dependent on a single leader's ability to manage the consequences of change and overcome one of the biggest barriers to change, and that is fear and doubt. I feel incredibly privileged to be joined here today with my guest, Rebecca Smith, or Bex, who has just come off the main stage at Zerocon. Bex made it to the top as a professional football player. She's a two-time Olympian and captained the New Zealand side in two World Cups. After retiring from the sport, she moved into leadership roles with FIFA, and she's also founded two small businesses. It's hard enough to get to the top of the pyramid in any domain in the arts, trades, academia, science, sport, or business. To do it twice takes a special kind of drive and determination. I can't wait to jump into the conversation. Bex, welcome. What are you experienced here in the buzz at Zerocon? Yeah, well, it's a lot more exciting than I had assumed 2,000 accountants would be. <laughs> I mean, my, my accountant, I really enjoy. Actually, we have some really fun conversations, but it's just amazing. What a buzz. And as you know, it's about 40 something degrees in London, but no one seems to care. Everyone's just buzzing and it's a lot of fun. So many different things to look at. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of FOMO because I feel like I'm not going to be able to absorb all of it in, in the time that I have. It's amazing. You've been the captain of the New Zealand soccer team. You've played in World Cups. You've also had very strong links into North America and Europe. Talk a little bit about you as a global citizen, the experiences you've had traveling the world. Did my accent give it away, Steve? Did a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> my parents are both Kiwis. They were born in Christchurch, but my sister and I were born in LA. So we grew up sort of being Kiwi American, which at the time was not that common. So we would go for all of our Christmases, all of our summer vacations back down to New Zealand because my parents really wanted us to know our family and they were the only family we had. So lots of cousins and things. So I think having that dual citizenship and just really feeling like home is in two different places always since we were kids has been the foundation of why I've been traveling so much and maybe why I chose football as a career. When I went to Duke University and got an economics degree and my parents and I said, well, I think I might just want to be a professional footballer for a while. And they went, go for it. <laughs> yeah, it's taken me all over the planet. And I'm really, really thankful for that because I think traveling is a form of education that we don't do enough. And when you look at you know what's going on in the backdrop of the world right now, I think a lot of it has to do with just a lack of understanding and acceptance of other people um, and diversity around us. So thankful for being able to travel as much as I have. Now, you've had an amazing career as a football player. And for those in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm talking about soccer, football. You talked just then about telling your parents that you wanted to be a professional footballer when you were doing your studies. What was it inside you that made you decide that that's what I want to be, that that's the path I want to take? I get a little emotional talking about that actually randomly, but my parents have always said, follow your passion. Very emotional, weirdly. Oh, good on you. That's right. We, lo <laughs> we like a bit of that. That's yeah. <laughs> get into yeah. it, honestly. But I think that football became a passion because of different reasons than just chasing a ball around trying to score a goal. I just saw 
through the different troubles, so many youth and kids really struggling. And I just felt that football was such a powerful tool for change and bringing people together. And, you know, Farah mentioned it on stage, but she said it's the cheapest sport. It's the most accessible sport for everybody out there. So you don't even need a ball. You don't need cleats. You don't even need a pitch, really. You can crush a can and put down two sweatshirts or whatever you have, and then you're off and you're playing. And I think that brings together so many communities and in celebrating. And I think that there's such a lack of that now. It's interesting, you know, the, the thing I took away from the conversation the two of you had, which I thought was really special, is the motivation of the women who are playing football and the motivation, as you both articulated very clearly, is well beyond kicking a ball around. It is about the positive impact you can have when it comes to social change. And I can understand why you're really emotional about it. It kind of comes to the thing we talk about a lot, which is this sense of purpose and how purpose drives us. A sense of purpose can be such a meaningful motivator. I'm keen to talk about football, but we can also talk about the evolution of your life beyond football into the different businesses and the pursuits you have underway. And there are many. As someone who's watching a lot of the footballs being played in Europe right now, we were talking about officiating and how much better the officiating has become in the women's game. And I know you have a real interest in that, but I'll let you go wherever you'd like to go in terms of how that purpose that drove you into football has now carried forward into other parts of your life. I think that's the really the main reason why I stayed in football because, and it snuck up on me. I, de I definitely never wanted to be a professional footballer. In fact, I wanted to be a professional surfer. Um, but my mom <laughs> said at 15, forget it. You're not traveling around and on beaches for your whole life. <laughs> I do that now, actually. I think, you know, the, the community that football has built, the opportunities that it has allowed me to be able to travel and, I guess the experiences that I've had through it and both bad and good and working at FIFA, you, you could see both sides as well because I could see, you know, I got to travel to parts of Africa for some of their qualifiers for our World Cups and see, you know, the lack of resources, but the incredible amount of fans that were in Africa that weren't coming out in Europe or North America. So there are all these benefits from football that, you know, we, we look at with the women's game and we say a oh, women's football is, but actually it's so big and so diverse and varying all over the planet, that that was one of the reasons why I wanted to stay in it because it felt like, okay, I've seen the positive benefits that football can bring and also some of the bad things, you know, and I wanted to try to develop that and grow that and take some of the best bits from the African culture potentially, you know, and bring it into Europe and vice versa. I just think there's so much potential for the women's game to actually help change culture much, much broader than women's football, football sports but really into life and culture and, and social aspects as well. You talked about resilience when you were talking to our audience upstairs. I guess that's about overcoming the challenges. If you sort of look at your journey, are there moments that were important or challenges that were really important to overcome that you think really were foundational for you? Yeah, you lose more than you win. You make tons of mistakes. You know, 90 minutes is just rife with mistakes. So it is obviously about trying to lessen the number of mistakes that you make over a course of 90 minutes. But it's also about challenging yourself because if you have an area that you want to develop in your game, you know, like for me, it was my left foot quite late in my career because I just realized I kept getting stuck in situations as a center back because I was really favoring my right foot. And, you know, at, to be able to start doing that in your late 20s, which is late in a career, really 
put a lot more like pressure on me to develop as a person, but as a player as well. But I had to go through a lot of mistakes to get there. And it still wasn't very good by the time I retired, to be really honest. But it really is about the losing, about the mistakes that you make to see those as positive because there are opportunities to grow. And it sounds so cliched, but I think football teaches you that over and over and over again. And also representing New Zealand, you know, to get out of a group stage in any of those World Cups or Olympics we played in was a massive feat for us because we are a smaller country that always punches above its weight anyway in, in sports. But we didn't have the resources and we didn't have the funding. And, you know, most of my team when I first started, they were not professional. You know, I was the only one playing in Germany at the time. So, you know, we needed that extra camaraderie, the extra elements of knowledge and tactics and technique, fitness. You know, we were really focused on the things that we could control. And yeah, I think that there's been many, many, many hurdles in my career that would probably be another day of podcast <laughs> if we went into it. But the injuries are certainly one of them because it teaches you a lot of patience as well. Yeah, it's fascinating, this whole discussion about failure and learning. There's nothing you are good at that you don't get good at by making mistakes on the way there. I hope that as we go forward and there's more innovation, certainly, that we see, the acceptance will be there. If you don't have a go, you, you don't go forward. My parents always said that. I don't know if it was a Kiwi thing. I always assumed it was because they were the only Kiwis I knew <laughs> as a kid. But they always said, have a go. You know, you have to try everything, everything once. In a game of 90 minutes, if you're thinking about your mistake, then you're going to just keep making more. So the, the thing you have to learn very quickly, especially as an elite athlete, is that there are no mistakes and you'll get the next one right and you have to pick yourself up and on to the next. And you have to do that within half a second because the ball could be coming back in your way within the next you know, minute. So having a goal, there is no real failures really in football. You just continually grow and learn. You're involved with a couple of businesses that you founded. Talk a little bit about those and what you're accomplishing with those or what your aspirations are for those. For me, women's football, when I looked sort of more globally, I kept seeing how people were talking about women's football, women's sports, female athletes as a CSR campaign, something we should be doing. It's the right thing to do. It goes in the DNI box or the development box, but actually it's an incredible business opportunity because if you look at half the population, oh, hey, we're women, <laughs> you know, and if you look at athletes on the top level or some of the sports that are doing it right, like Olympics, which still isn't equal, you know, gender equal but tennis, and you see that they're bringing in, the females are bringing in just as much, if not more money than the males. So, and you look at, you know, spending, consumer spending, that females are actually driving consumer spending, that they spend, they control more of household spending than their male counterparts. If they have a male counterpart, we happen to have two women, which is horrendous for our bank accounts. <laughs> so for me, it was that there was this whole population that was being ignored. As a business owner, you know, that those are your fan base are your consumers. So, I saw it as a more of a business opportunity. So Crux Sports was founded with the belief that actually if we can support all of the partnerships within the women's game, which, you know, then goes beyond women's football and women's sports, that we could drive more commercial opportunities into the game and do it in the right way. Because we see a lot of brands coming in making really bad mistakes in terms of content or copying all of the tropes that have already been out there, which is exactly what we're trying to fight against as athletes or the development structures of different leagues and copy pasting the men when actually there's a lot of opportunities we have in women's football because it is a nascent market to do things completely differently and outside of the box. And so it was just trying to drive a little bit more of innovation, but also skill and knowledge from my background into the game to support those stakeholders. So that's really what Crux Sports does for everything from media to brands, to working with players directly, to partnerships, to content, to media, et cetera, et cetera. 
In terms of your football career, because you talked about playing for New Zealand and you also played in Europe. So if you sort of look back on your career, what would you say was the highlight that you reflect on most positively? I think playing for New Zealand was incredible. When we got out of the group stage in the London Olympics and we hit the USA, it was kind of like, well, we've done it. We've, we've made it out of the group stage. And being able to play against the US in Newcastle was an incredible ex- experience as well. And it was a bittersweet moment for me because I was carrying a really bad knee injury and my cartilage was pretty much dead. So I knew that that could have been the end of my career. So my last international game, it was sort of the highlight and the lowest point at the same time. And also because I had grown up in the States, I knew a lot of the girls on both teams. So it was kind of nice to sort of end my career against players and friends, amongst players and friends. Injuries are hard and having to end my career not on my terms was something that I was sort of determined to try to help other athletes not have to do. So that's why I support the medical industry now as well. Yeah, that's important because you were talking earlier about the fact that the level of care, the best care, is not as easily available to the women footballers as it is to the men. Correct, yeah. So that's really, really important. I'm fascinated because you didn't actually answer that question the way I thought you might, which was by talking about some of the championships you won. Getting to know you here now, I understand why. (laughs) That may not have been where you went in your thinking. Actually, the year before we won the Champions League with Wolfsburg, that was the best season I'd ever had because we were ninth place when out of 12 when I came in 2009. We had the vision to, you know, win the league. That was it and qualify for Champions League. But the year before, we had such a group of girls that really believed in the values of our team and what we wanted to accomplish as a club, which Wolfsburg had never done before. No one wanted to go and live in Wolfsburg. It was this tiny podunk town in Germany. No offense to people that are from there, but this was the perception of it at the time. So we couldn't recruit, you know, big players. So being able to work with that team and and be part of the captaincy team of that and really driving that defense as the foundation of everything that we did from that team. That was the year when we then qualified. We won, we got second place and it came down to the last game of the season, second to last game against Frankfurt, who had won it, you know, however many times. So being able to really drive that and and being able to qualify, that was really more special than winning the Champions League for me. That's a fascinating reflection. So in a sense, a football team involves a number of people that many small businesses would involve. So when you talk about the culture and the values, what would you say to someone who operates a small business about how do you create that best environment in your business between the team players you have in the business? Yeah, it's such a good question because there's so many parallels from football into business and especially smaller ones where you have access to all of those players on an individual basis. But it comes from the time, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting here talking to someone who's one of the most incredible CEOs on the planet, in my opinion, but it really does come from the top, driving that culture and the values, but it's living them. It's so easy to put things on paper, or put up a PowerPoint presentation or do your lovely reels, but it really is about living those values. And that's what I've seen, you know, with everybody that I've come in contact with Zero. And it, it sounds, you know, like a plug, but it's been an amazing experience working with you guys from the opportunity to be able to look at your fee partnership all the way down through the UK, US markets. And everybody you meet is just incredibly nice and normal and down to earth and also just rational, you know, making decisions for the right reasons. So I think, you know, that kind of value system, instilling that, but it's really not something you can go to business school and learn either, is it? It's, it's kind of you either live it and you are it. 
and you drive it with your team. And sometimes it's hard, you know, I've had lots of really hard conversations with players because they've come up through a certain system or culture of football, which has been quite militant and quite, you will do as we say, to try to make things a lot more open. And you know, you're a participant of this team. So you need to add value to it by contributing your opinions and helping other people. So it's not just about you and your performance. That was particularly hard in Germany. <laughs> It was a very, very strong culture, but we got there in the end. One of the reflections that I've had recently is that when you're building a culture and you want really to build that team, certainly through the last couple of years, you have to pay even more attention to the background of that person and the work Absolutely. environments they've experienced. And you've sparked that thought with me because those past experiences are incredibly framing. So, you know, when you're talking to someone about behaving in a different way, you really do have to understand how deep that runs. And that's one of the reasons why the whole notion of culture change is so challenging. But I also really appreciate a couple of things you said there. It is about how you are, what you know, the being of the person. And it really is also fundamental that the feedback systems are direct and honest. And you and Farrell Williams talked about that, the importance of being really direct and honest, obviously caring way. I guess sport is generally better at that sort of feedback loop than business. Would you agree with that? I think absolutely. And this is one of the things I constantly talk about with the players that I work with is that if we all had an elite athlete mentality in business, our businesses would be so much better. And I know that's biased and I know that might sound a bit arrogant, but I do think that, you know, it's drilled in you that the coach or you yourself, really, the best athletes don't need a coach. They go and look at their own tape. You know, they demand more from the guy that's coding or the girl that's coding, you know, looking at all of your footage because we want to get better. And this drive and this passion to be the best you can possibly be, you don't make it as an athlete if you don't have that. But in business, I see so much of just, I'm totally fine coming to work, getting my salary, doing as little as possible for as much money as possible within a little time frame as possible. I see it all the time. And it blows my mind that people are like that. Again, it sounds a little bit arrogant or a little bit naive to say that, but coming from that mentality, going into business and seeing the lack of efficiencies and effectiveness, sometimes I think we should all hire more athletes. <laughs> But obviously, I'm, I'm biased, Steve. <laughs> I mean, I love the sport analogies and the sport references that are really, really relevant to teamwork at work. We've covered so much uh, fertile ground together. It's yeah. been awesome. And we could talk for a long, long time. I'm going to draw us to a little bit of a close by asking a few quick questions that give us a little bit more insight into you. What's the favorite place in the world you have lived Sweden. Whereabouts in Sweden? It was in the northern part of Sweden in a town called Skellefteå. It wasn't a village. It's bigger than a village, but it was just lovely. It was such a nice family vibe and everyone just took complete care of me the second I came in and I made the best friends I've ever had from there. I just like the Swedish culture. It has nice values. Country which you believe has the best food that you've experienced? Ooh, that's so hard. I like Thailand. I love Thai food, but any sort of Asian food is is my jam. So I'd probably go with any sort of Japanese, Thai, Vietnamese. I had a really good time in Myanmar. That was an incredible country. Yeah, really enjoyed the food there. Leader you admire, either sporting or business, when you look to leaders that you think are a great example? Ruth Bader Gainsburg was probably one of them for me. So clever, so smart. 
but did it in a way where she brought people with her. And that goes back to the, what you were talking about, which is why I actually did my master's in psychology, because I realized, oh, it's actually everything is about people. <laughs> yeah, I can, you could get your business degree, which I did, and then, but then you realize but actually the people is more important. The world will be a better place when we figure that one out on scale. Won't I it? agree. I 100% agree. What's your favorite sport to watch other than football? Well, you talked about surfing. Yeah, I think it actually has to be surfing. I know that might sound a bit boring, but I just love it. And the fact that it was in the last Olympics was my favorite surfing. I also like basketball. Thanks for being at ZeroCon with us and for sharing your insights with the people that are here. I know that they got a tremendous value from hearing about your journey and about the things that you value. You know, it's just great to be able to sit here and, and get in person, you know, what comes from behind the words. So thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining me. And I'm sure that uh, people get great value from your insights. Well, thank, thank you, you very much for building such an awesome brand and also getting into the women's game because it needs more brands like you guys to really help drive it. So thank you. Yeah, come on the World Cup, eh? Way. <laughs> <laughs>